Hello, this is Real History with Melissa, and today is the 8th of June, 2023, and I am joined in conversation with Neil Foster. Neil Foster, you know from Reality Bites Radio and lots of talks that he did with Alan Watt, and I am happy to have him back again today. Hi, Neil. Hi, good to be back again. Uh, I don't know if it's so much a uh, real history as just a, a chat about what's going on, really. But, uh, <laughs> I suppose one, one thing that I did, uh, I remembered actually when we did the first uh, real history was my experience of propaganda when I was uh, living in Turkey and took a visit to Greece and mayhem took over when somebody was just grabbed by the Greek military police and uh, put in prison and I was the only one that stayed behind off the ferry to get the guy out of prison but that's another, that's a long long story so we won't go into that here but uh, uh, just I was just thinking about propaganda there, there I thought yeah I took part in propaganda but uh, there you go but that was that was uh, that was before I woke up actually and I, I was I remember feeling very very uncomfortable at the time doing it and uh, even to this day I think oh what to do that for but anyway that's another story that's a long long story but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting week this week. Uh, I quit my job oh. with the enemy, with uh, the enemy, Amazon. Tell me about that. Basically, because of the culture of Amazon, not not because of the company I was working with. The company I was working with was a subcontractor to Amazon, and I had no problem with them whatsoever. And it was a predominantly Hispanic uh, company. Eighty percent of the drivers were Hispanic, uh, and the rest of us were. Uh, you know, uh, black or white, basically, <laughs> mm-hmm. if, we, if we want to use those terms, um, and every shade in between. The culture, the culture at, at Amazon is is very, uh, how will I put it, not, certainly narcissistic and certainly uh, sociopathic, if not completely psychopathic, um, in terms of how they treat people. I won't take it. I just won't take it. And people go, oh, you know, just forget about it, just let it go. And I'm like, no, 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 they're not doing this to me. You know, what are some and, uh, examples of the narcissist? Well, it's basically, you, the, the job is you're delivering packages, okay? And they give you a route, and that route is supposed to take you 10 hours, okay? To deliver, you know, 200, 300 packages, whatever it is, in so many stops. And you get two 15-minute breaks a day, which are paid for by the, the company that you work for, the subcontractor, and your half-hour lunch, which isn't paid for by anybody. So when I went to the interview with the subcontractor, I was told that, you know, you get paid 10 hours regardless. If you finish in eight hours, you'll get paid for 10. Okay. So I thought, okay, well, that was it. That was the only incentive for me to take the job because the wages weren't that great. So I thought, okay, I've got, an, I've got 50 minutes to drive to work, 50 minutes back. If I don't take my breaks and my lunch, which I never really wanted to take anyway, because I'd rather just do the job and get it done and get home, then that's fine. I'll save, I'll save that hour and that'll be my, my travel time back home. I was doing that, and what Amazon does is basically say, well, you know, since this guy's not taking his breaks or lunch, we can give him more work to make sure he does 10 hours. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and then they, they got a complaint or something that uh, I hadn't delivered packages to an address or something, the wrong address. And I said, well, show me the photograph. And say, oh, there isn't a photograph. Because Amazon takes, it's supposed to take photographs of every package you deliver, but on, on some occasions it doesn't let you. So I said, show me the photograph. And they go, oh, we don't have a photograph. And I'm like, well, I, I know I delivered that stuff to the right address. I can tell you exactly where that house is and, and where it's situated, blah, 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 you know. And uh, this is my subcontractor I'm talking to. So 
I got the blame for that. These packages gone missing. I'm like, well, they stole it, obviously. Basically, Amazon needs to check whether they reordered that stuff or they got a refund. If they applied for a refund, they got the stuff, right? Simple as that. <laughs> you know, and they went, oh, well, yeah, I know what you're saying, but Amazon doesn't look at it that way. I said, well, it's fine if they don't look at it that way. I don't care. And then from the same people, I started getting complaints that I was throwing packages around, right? Because after that, there were the type of houses where you could take a photograph of the package and the door number, mm-hmm. the house number. So I did that deliberately every time I went around this certain area because I, I, I got the same route every day. And I've seen the cops there three times in this one area. And uh, people were getting food deliveries from Walmart. And, and, uh, and people had been through the bags. <laughs> people had stolen the food off the people's doorsteps. And it was so obvious, you know, I thought, well, that's the kind of characters that live around here. I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm, you know, taking photographs of the door numbers and all the rest of it. And I says, okay, well, show me the video of me throwing these packages around, because I never do. I said, oh, we don't have a video. I says, well, how do you know I'm throwing packages about? Oh, somebody said so. I said, well, how, how did they see me then? Where, where did they see me doing this? Well, these, these people that have reported me are obviously the people that I delivered to. So did they see me through their front door? You know, it's, 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 this is nonsense. And then my subcontractors, I, I, I would say one thing about them was spineless. Absolutely spineless. They wouldn't stand up to Amazon at all. And I said, well, you know, if there's no video and there's no actual evidence and Amazon knows there's no evidence, what, why, why are you even talking to me? And the guy goes, uh, well, you know, Amazon tells us that we've got to do coaching when they get complaints. So I says, well, you can, you can stick that with the sun, don't shine, because I ain't doing that. It says, I haven't done anything wrong. and uh, So you have you know, to be re-educated how to deliver packages. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's exactly what he said. And I said, listen to it. Listen to what I'm saying to you. I said, I've done four uh, peak seasons with UPS, right? And I said, I've never had one complaint except from a drunk uh, golf cart driver who passed me to tell me I was going too fast. Right? That's, that's the only complaint I ever had in four years. I said, now you're telling me all these people are complaining about me about my way I deliver packages. I said, look, I said, even by your own metrics, and they have all these metrics about your cost being friendly and uh, respecting private property and you you can't reverse over three miles an hour and all this kind of garbage and they've got cameras in the cabs. And I I said, look, even by your own metrics, I says, myself and the other two people I know that I've worked with for the past four years at UPS, your top three drivers, so, you know, if Amazon doesn't appreciate that, then I'm not even working for them. Simple as that. So you can stick it. So that was that. And they said, you know, I said, oh, we really don't want you to leave because you're one of our best drivers. And I says, well, that's, that isn't my problem. That's your problem. I says, uh, Amazon keeps saying, you know, oh, safety is our priority. You know, safety of our drivers is our priority. But they're not their drivers. See, that's the thing. Um, we're not their drivers. We, we are subcontractors. They had the corporate. The corporate guys came in a couple of weeks ago to see how we loaded the vans and all that, and they were saying, "Oh no, you, you can't be doing this. This is this is unsafe. You need to leave all this space in your van so you can walk up back to front. You know, there's a clear passage between the, the shelves and all this." Thing. And the day after, it was just back to normal. You had your packages <laughs> all the way to the to, to the bulkhead door. It's just you know, it's insane. Yeah, they don't give a damn about safety of the drivers or anything else. Uh, their top priority is delivering packages, obviously, because that's a business. I just, 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 I said to the guys, uh, the management team there, I says, I, I don't have a problem with you, but you guys won't stand up for your drivers, so what do you expect? And then, then the kind of, one of the guys, an older guy, uh, he kind of, he realised what I was talking about, and he 
I had a kind of private conversation with him. He says, yeah, he says, this is a, we're getting into trouble with Amazon because we can't hold on to drivers. I says, well, you can't hold on to drivers because of Amazon. It's not because of you. You know, it's because of the conditions that these people are, are enforcing on you for their own, for their own benefit. And I said, listen, I said, I, if I don't take like, those two 15 minute breaks, you're saving half an hour's wages, right? And he goes, yeah, that's right. And I says, and all that happens is I don't take those breaks. I don't take my lunch and Amazon gives me another hour of work. So who benefits? It's not me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm losing, you know? And I says, but I'm quite prepared to do that. And I says, I, I says, I'll tell you something else. I say, I, I have, I've brought back two packages in the last two months, two packages, right? And I see consistently people bringing back five and six packages a day. I says, one, one was because it was the, the tracking numbers were the same and I could only deliver one of them because they wouldn't scan the other one because it's already delivered, apparently. And uh, the other one was because, this, I mean, this is a crazy one. I was standing at a door, right, in an Amazon uniform with a package. And sometimes, depending on the value of the package, they'll ask for a password to make sure you give it to the right person. And she refused to give me the password because she wasn't comfortable giving the password out to me. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just take this back then. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm standing here with your package. Do you want it or not? You know, it's, it's, it's just crazy. But anyway, that's that's the only two packages. But he says, I says I, and she, oh, he says, uh, I think some of the complaints have been, have been that you've not been delivering the package to the exact location that the person wants it. I says, well, I'll tell you what. I says, if I did that, they'd never get half of these packages because the place they want it, they've either got dogs in the yard. Or it's just open to the elements and it'd be blown away or soaked or whatever. I says, I buy my own plastic bags to put boxes in, you know, and, and stuff that's going to get ruined. And he went, what? I says, yeah, I buy my own plastic bags so I can make sure I can deliver stuff, you know. And he said, that's what I says, that's why I don't bring anything back. And he went, well, you know, I'll, I'll try and get somebody to talk to Amazon and maybe see if they can resolve these issues. I says, well, you're probably wasting your time, so. Are most of. Are most of Amazon's drivers subcontractors? All of them. All of, All of them. them. Okay, so they yeah. they don't do any, they don't well, do anything well, except build warehouses and rake in money. Yeah, the package handlers they employ. That's it. The the ones that load up the the bags for the the stuff. I said, look, I, said, I mean, this is how this is how how would you put it? Spiteful, I guess is the word. They do their their routes to make sure that you're going to be out there for ten hours. That means you're going up and down the same streets two or three times a day. Uh, I, I was at the same house three times a day before. The same house, the exact same address, three times. Uh, and uh, I said to the guy, I said, look, I says, this, is, this is just, it's either absolute incompetence, which I don't believe, or it's deliberate, which is the only other reason they're doing it. And he says, oh, I don't know. I says, they're, they're just learning. I says, what do you mean they're just learning? I says, I was, I was UPS for four years. I never had routing like this. It went round in a circle. Every address was more or less basically in the right order. You know, you, you, you went out and halfway through your shift, you'd be the furthest away from the depot and then you made your way back. That's how it should work. Not with, not with Amazon. You end up like 45 minutes away from the depot, your furthest point away. You know, it's just, it's nuts. The whole, I mean, there's some guy sitting in an office making up these rules. That you, you know, you can't reverse more than three miles an hour. Now, I, I don't know how you're supposed to do that because the, the rear view mirrors are like a little computer screen and it's, it's where your rear view mirror would be in your car. So you've got to look at that while you're reversing. Uh, and at the same time, you're supposed to be looking at your speedometer, you know. 
to make sure you're not doing more than three miles an hour or they penalise you. And I, I said to the guy, I says, everything Amazon's doing is for their own benefit. It's, it's to benefit nobody but them. I says, and that's why they bring in all these stupid rules so they can penalise you and, you know, and then the driver's the one that takes all the stick. It's just garbage, you know, I ain't doing it. So you're not working for the enemy anymore. No, 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 unless unless they call me up and say, can you come back, we've resolved all your issues. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> and I don't think that's going to happen. Are you are but you the, job hunting? No, I'm going to take a break, actually, because yeah. I, 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 spoke, I spoke to my dad last week, and he was saying, when are you coming over, when are you coming over? So, oh, okay. okay, so I, I'd actually gone to the, the guy that owned the company, I said, look, I, I need to get some unpaid leave, you know, I'll only take four days because I'll, I'll come for ten days. I only work four days a week, and I get three days off each other end, so I can do it in you know just one week off, unpaid. And he was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, as long as you don't do it in the busy season." I says, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'll do it August, September, something like that." And then he kept repeating, "Don't do it in the busy season." I was like, but "Didn't he hear me? You know what? <laughs> Am I talking to the wall here? You know?" But uh, yeah, now I'll take a break. Um, I, uh, the bees, the bees are needing some attention. The garden's need some attention. I've got some stuff to do. So, you know, there's plenty to do here. I might look at other ways of making money, basically, uh, rather than working for somebody. Because I, I just, I, as I say, that's, that, the, way, the way Amazon works is, uh, is the way they want everybody working. You're just, you do as you're told and that's it. It doesn't matter how absurd it is. That's the way it is. And it's like it's it's almost like the the COVID thing, where they started changing the rules. And oh, you can do this, you can do that. Oh, six feet. Oh no, you don't do six feet anymore. It's uh, you know, it's all this kind of thing, just ridiculous kind of rules that they bring out to make sure that you screw up. You know, because you can't possibly adhere to everything that they say. They've no interest in you in adhering to it because if you don't adhere to it, then they penalise the company that uh, employs you, and and by association, then you get penalised. It's it's all for them, nothing nothing for their employees. I don't know I, I don't know how these uh, their own employees in the in the package handling warehouse are, but uh, I mean there's there's certainly something there's certainly diverse. Put it that way. There's some very strange looking characters work there, and mm-hmm. uh, you you wouldn't want to meet them in the dark. You know it's uh, that's that's just a woman. <laughs> you know <laughs> I I I. I I used to park. I used to park. This, I did this deliberately, and the, the guys couldn't understand why I was parking so far away from like where where I was picking up my van. I said, "I just like walking through here and seeing how it works," and that's that's the excuse I gave them. But I was I was just looking at the types of people that were there, and I said, "Jesus, what? This is like a circus. It's like a freak show, you know." And it is. It's like a freak show. What we're looking at too is the the fact that they want everybody on you know what they call the gig economy the yeah. where everyone is a so-called gig worker or independent contractor and that just means that you know and this has been this way and it'll we'll see more of it as we go in you know to their so-called fourth industrial revolution everything digital but you know this is the idea of the universal basic income is because there aren't going to be that many jobs and the jobs there, they know they don't have to really look after their drivers because they can get another one. No, it's, no they don't have to look after the drivers because the subcontractors are to blame for all the mistakes their drivers make. Right. They, 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 
if, if, I, I said to the, the guy the other day, I said, if Amazon employed its own drivers, they'd be out of business tomorrow because they would never keep a hold of them. And uh, they'd have to pay for all that training and all the rest of it, you know. And they, they, the only thing keeping Amazon afloat is the fact that they've got a lot of packages. That's the only thing that's keeping them afloat because you know, they, buy you, you buy, they buy you shoes, right, when you first start, up to $150. Okay, so I said to them, I guarantee you, those people come here, do the three days sitting in a classroom, which is just... It's nonsense stuff. It's just basic safety and all that kind of thing. But three days, they pay you for that, and then they give you this $150 allowance for shoes. So you can make nearly you know, $500, sit in a classroom for three days, and then just leave. And he says, yeah, people do that all the time. I says, well, is it, is it a surprise? Because they're going to tell their friends, you know how to make $500 this week? Apply to an Amazon job, do that, and get your, your free shoes and everything. You know, and that's exactly what they're doing. He said, and he told me, he says, uh, like the company I work for, the subcontractor, he says, of every 50 drivers that we get uh, that go through the interview process, the training, all that stuff, he says, we can only keep two. Wow. Two out of 50. And I, I said, I worked in hospitality, and the turnover there was quite high, but this is astounding. <laughs> like, two out of 50 is, is, is a problem, right? And I says, and it's your problem because Amazon doesn't care, you know. I yeah. says, and, and, and in the time I've been there, uh, I've seen a lot of their experienced drivers leave. The guy that interviewed me left within a week of me being there, you know, just says not. And because they'd, they'd come from another uh, warehouse in uh, Orlando, I shifted to Lakeland, and uh, they found out that it was, it was it, actually it's run. <laughs> would you believe, by an ex, I don't know what his rank was, but he was in the Air Force, the American Air Force, and he, he, he came into our classroom when we were doing training and uh, mentioned it. He had to mention I don't know why he had to mention it. He came from a, a military background and he'd uh, done uh, briefings in the Pentagon and all this kind of garbage. And I thought, oh, Jesus, <laughs> this is what's running Amazon, is it? One of these guys uh, who thinks you know he's still a colonel or whatever and he can order everybody about one of the things he actually said was, oh, don't have anything to do with dogs. If you, you, you got a place with dogs, you know, you, you bring that package back if you don't feel safe. I repeated that to the guy the other day. That I said, this, this is what I was told at training. You know, I, I says, if, uh, and I had, a, I had a country route, right, a rural route. I said, if I was to bring packages back for every dog that was in the yard, I said, I'd be bringing back 20 or 30 packages a day. I said, and then I'd be fired. You know. Right. And he says, yeah. He says, yeah, you would be. I says, yeah, I know. I says, but I find a way of delivering it. I find a way around that. I say, because uh, I've got initiative, and Amazon doesn't like that. Interesting. Interesting. You know? I say, there's no excuse for it. I, I, and, oh, I mean, this, this was cruel. But on my, last, on my last day, they sent somebody to rescue me because of my last day. Now, a rescue is when you're, you're supposed to be struggling to finish your round. And I wasn't, but they were just doing me a favor because I'd been screwed over the couple of days before. I had this one road... And it's in the country, and there's lots of dogs, there's lots of gates. You can, you basically can't get to the houses at all. <laughs> and uh, you've got to put the stuff over the gate in a bag, or you know, you've got to avoid the dogs and all the rest of it. And this young guy turned up, and I, I explained this. I said, "You've got 11 stops on these roads," and I explained virtually every house he was going to. And I says, "There's a dog there. You've got to be careful there. This is what you've got to do. You've got to open the gate, get the stuff in, shut the gate before the Alsatian gets to the gate." Right, <laughs> and, and I say, don't go in that drive because it's full of sand. You'll never get out. All this kind of stuff. And I explain it to him, and I, I had about twenty stops left. Right, so I did my stops, 
I drove 45 minutes back to the depot and he still hadn't done those 11 stops right <laughs> and I said to the guy I says you know I bet he comes back with packages as well I says it's not his fault it's not his fault he's following the rules he's following the rules but he's going to come back with stuff so somebody and I to, don't somebody will have yeah. to go rescue the rescuer <laughs> no no now you're bringing them back and then somebody else has to try and deliver them uh, the day after so uh, you know I says that, that I says I don't do that I don't bring anything back I'll make sure I get it delivered and that's it. But if that's not good enough for Amazon, then that's fine. They can do without me. All right. But anyway, we've we spoken, we spoken too long about Amazon because, uh, you know, there's more important things than them. But well, I, I just, you, it's just, you actually uh, had told me about a few things that were on your mind this week. You sent me an email with a few links which were mm -hmm. interesting. Did you well, want to start uh, with Jane Fonda? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what my thoughts on that was that uh, she must have white relatives because she's obviously not from an ethnic minority background. So maybe she should round up all her male relatives and put them in jail first. And that, yeah. that would set a great example to us all. And then we might say, well, she's actually serious. She's actually, you know, standing by her, her convictions and uh, putting her own family in prison first because they're responsible, right? Um, so she, she's racist yeah. as well. Just she came out racist. with a, a speech at the Cannes Film Festival that you had yeah. sent me a bit of it, and she was. She said that white men are to blame for the climate crisis, um, and that there would not that this whole climate crisis would be resolved if it wasn't for white men, and at the root of it is white man's racism, et cetera, et cetera. It went on and on. Yeah, <laughs> racism. Racism uh, controls the weather, right? Right. <laughs> I guess. I guess there's a. Uh, you know, I, I, if ra if racism controls the weather, then the weather would be different in every country in the world, wouldn't it? Because everybody would be doing their own weather, right? I had three reactions to that story when you sent it to me. The first was, I'd be willing to bet that her plastic surgeon is a white man. There's oh, that for starters. I guarantee, I guarantee she's a racist as well. <laughs> the, the second thing I thought is, you know, we, we probably shouldn't even be talking about this because this was obviously a bunch of nonsense that was written for her. To, oh, yeah. Uh, she's, know, an, she's an actress. Of, she's an actress. So she, she had yeah. a script that she was supposed to deliver, and the script was written intentionally to be just as insane and ridiculous as it could possibly be to get a reaction from people. And then the third thing I noticed, I, I actually looked at not just the link you sent me, because that was a Fox News link, which is always yeah. uh, accused of being you know, far right and so forth. So I went and found the story in mainstream and or left-leaning publications. And without exception, every single comment on all of the articles was just, they, they just hate Jane Fonda. Yeah. Well, I and mean, it, so, this, this, is a quote, this is a quote from, it, from this, uh -huh. uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, fantasy that she's going on about. This is serious, she said. We've got about, I mean, this is somebody who's illiterate, obviously. We've got about seven, eight years to cut ourselves in half of what we use of fossil fuels. And unfortunately, the people that have the least responsibility for it are hit the hardest. People on islands, Global South, poor people of colour. Like there's no poor white people, right? Mm -hmm. It is a tragedy that we have to absolutely stop. But is it a tragedy? So she knows full well that the implications of uh, stopping the use of so-called fossil fuels is going to be a tragedy, right? 
mm-hmm. a tragedy for who? For who? The poor people she's actually talking about. Mm-hmm. So no, every it. all the commenters were quick to point out. You know, they. One of them said, "Well, so did she? How long did it take her to get to the film festival in the south of France? Did she row a boat yeah. across the ocean yeah, yeah. and then ride a bicycle there <laughs> in order to keep her carbon footprint down?" Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's uh, there's a lot of hot air coming out of her. I mean, yeah. Maybe they should put maybe they should put a mask on her. Maybe but that, that is, I mean, you know, if you go back to the one of the very first blowhards who was talking about how you only had a few minutes left until the world dissolved because of climate change was Al Gore. Yeah. And, you know, and they, they're all guilty of their, you know, beachfront property and their maids and, the, you know, they just oh, yeah. use, they burn energy like nobody's business. Well, John Travolta, he's got a, a, a 747 parked in his yard. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> never mind the, the amount of land that takes and the, the concrete you had to put down for the, the, the runway. Never mind all that. Uh, just the fact that he's, he's run about the place in there. He's private 747 jumbo jet. I mean, you know, for one person and his yeah. entourage. But it is farcical. But, uh, you know. I was listening to the news this morning, and the, one of the guys was talking. How, how dare you? How dare yeah, you? Yeah, I know. He said um, something about a credit card um, that was it was aimed to stop you from spending money if your if your purchases were not carbon friendly or headed towards net zero. And I I wasn't surprised by that, but I looked into it, and evidently these are all several years old. MasterCard was a big one, yeah. but they tell you with each expenditure on your credit card bill, uh, you know, I'm sure it's all just made-up stuff, but they tell you how much of the purchase, um, how it impacts the environment, and whether it was carbon-friendly, carbon-neutral, carbon-excessive. Yeah, how, how much carbon did it take to make all those plastic cards? And uh, aren't they made out of oil? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that, that kind of that kind of follows on to this next thing here. This was the, I, sent, I think I sent you this one. The Telegraph, mm-hmm. the net zero grocery tax. Yes, you did well, just, send that. Just what you're talking about. Just what yep. you're talking about there. Mm-hmm. We'll push shopping bills up by four billion pounds. I don't mm-hmm. know how they, they work that out, but uh, retailers say forcing them to take on recycling costs. That's that's why they're framing it, uh, recycling costs. I don't I don't know what that's got to do with net zero. Does that mean they can they can recycle their cardboard and everything, all those boxes that all that stuff comes in, and then just offset that against what they're actually doing with their trucks and all the rest of it, their delivery trucks? Is that what that means? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, but they're going to they're going to they're going to force that onto the the person who's doing the shopping and buying their stuff, right? I, I've noticed that a lot here actually. You know, people buy these boxes of say. Cereal. I mean, cereal is one of the most obvious ones because you get a box of cereal and there's only half a bag of stuff in it. You know, it's, it's half empty. Right, right. And I have, I have seen people take all those boxes and just leave them in the parking lot, take the bags out put, and leave all the cardboard in the shopping cart and just leave it there. And uh, maybe more people should do that and just leave all that garbage for them to pick up. I mean, if they're going to charge you, if they're going to charge you extra because of this kind of grocery tax thing, uh, well, make them pay for the recycling. Make them pay to take it back, you know, uh, and force that on them. Yeah, green levy is due to be imposed from next year 
I think they're already on. I think they're already included anyway. Will increase food prices within months, pushing up total shopping bills by four billion a year. Retailers have warned, uh, like the retailers care. You know, um, mm-hmm. what, what, if they're if they're so worried about the poor suffering higher uh, food bills, then why don't they cut their prices? Because uh, they're well capable of doing so. I mean, food is what twenty twenty five percent inflation. Mm-hmm. At the moment, well, at least. Uh, I've seen that, double. If for, for people who are paying attention, yes, it is, although they're telling us it's like 11 or 12%. But yeah, yeah. Pe- people that actually shop for groceries know that that's not true. Well, I, I do all the, the grocery shopping for our house, um, and I, I've seen it happen. I've seen it oh, day on day, or week on week, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the only thing that's not gone up. Okay, well, I'll give you two guesses. There's two things that have never gone up, and actually one of them has gone down quite dramatically lately. Have a guess. Um, what has gone up? No, what's, no, what's what gone up? Oh, what, what has alcohol. never gone up? Alcohol. That's one of them. What's the other one? They, go to, okay. they kind of go together. Well, cigarettes have... Correct, correct. <laughs> Paula, unfortunately, smokes, and her cigarettes for a carton, 10 packs, 200 cigarettes, about six months ago, were $74. They are now 53 Interesting. Uh, now, $20, that's a big, big drop. Uh, and alcohol, like I, I only drink like uh, light beer or whatever it is, uh, Miller Lite, that's never gone up in price. As far as I'm aware, I, d- I don't drink liquor or anything, but I've... I wandered through those stores just to see, you know, what's in. Actually, no, I went in for sambuca one day because I was cooking with it. That's it. But um, that's never gone up either. None of the liquor has gone up at all. Now they they keep telling us that food's gone up because of uh, supply chain issues, blah blah blah. But uh, they can they seem to have no issues when it comes to cigarettes and alcohol. Mhm. Mhm. So that's a lie, right? <laughs> it is a lie, and it's also. It's a lie, but it's Orwell, and it's every other piece of science fiction where, you know, it's Aldo Huxley, it's Soma. You know, Soma is when the state, like in Canada and many states here in the U.S., are actually the ones who are selling you marijuana. It's a a government-run business. It's alcohol and keeping it cheap because to have a... A drugged population means it's a population that's, you know, probably not asking as many questions. And what does it do? It keeps you um, mollified or subdued. Yeah. You know, believe me, if people were sober to what's going on right now, there'd be a lot of angry people. But we take the the edge off, you're okay. Yeah, I, I, I remember... I can't remember what year it was, maybe, I don't know, 96 or 2000 or whatever it was. There was a European football soccer um, tournament in Holland. And Holland, of course, is famous for, you know, the coffee shops with the, you know, you can, you can get any drug there you want, basically, on the streets or whatever. It's all legal, no problem at all. This was in the era of uh, the soccer hooligan. You know, they'd have rival, rival teams, uh, so-called supporters, which were just... I think government-funded thugs went out and fought each other in the streets, and uh, innocent people were caught up in it, and you know, got into all sorts of uh, problems. And they did a big experiment and, and sent this tournament to Holland. They, they barely had any trouble whatsoever. 
from anybody. And, the, and these people were still there, these so-called uh, hooligans. But they were smoking pot and taking all these other drugs and everything. And uh, there was never a bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. So there's yes. your experiment, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the law, any, any of the insanity, particularly around sustainability, if you follow logic, it doesn't hold up, like saying supply chain or the materials, because the it, what it takes to make a bottle of booze, you're, what are you dealing with, even in the case of beer, hops? I mean, you're talking about food, grain, or mm-hmm. a fruit, or something that the, the alcohol comes from. And if you are going to go and buy a bag of rice or a loaf of wheat bread, you better believe that you're seeing the price raise there. But miraculously, that basic ingredient doesn't get more expensive when it's being used for beer. So logic never follows the insanity. I did read, though, in the article that you sent me that um, the silver lining of all of this is that the scheme, the tax scheme on groceries, will result in the creation of up to 4,300 green jobs. So there you go. How do they work that out? Uh, oh. how does, what kind of jobs are they then? Are, are they what? I mean, I, I guess maybe that's uh, security guards. Security. Well, we'll move on to the next story after this because it's pertinent to that. But maybe before that, you, first... yeah, secure, you said how do they arrive at that? Um, I was looking at an article this morning about uh, Chat GPT and an, a plugin that you could get for it that would allow you to do uh, data analysis. Now, I'm sure that it's a specific kind of person who is doing this, but basically you could plug in a URL or certain coordinates for the chat GPT to do some analysis. And what it will do, this is artificial intelligence, what it will do is come up with a whole story for you. So it's really a kind of computer modeling, and it will spit out charts and graphs. You just plug in a few coordinates, and you also guide it. You tell it, here is an article or here are some, you know, the taxes that we are raising to cover recycling in Britain. Tell us, oh, oh almighty chat GPT, how many green jobs are going to be created? So this is where this kind of nonsense <laughs> comes from. It's just spit yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- th- maybe they're going to have to supply uh, security at all these uh, grocery stores because uh, the prices are going so high and people are going to be stealing stuff so much. Uh, and uh, that's actually happening. Uh, this was, uh, I think, did I send you one about the, the guys raiding the stores? You didn't send me that, but I think the last time we talked, you said, what's to stop people from just holding up people when they walk out of the grocery store for their groceries? Oh, well, this, that, what, well, I think that's what's going to come next after they bring all this stuff in, because th- there will be security guards on the stores. Um, but uh, at the moment, the, there was one uh, instance where, you know how people go into stores to do a kind of protest and all dancing and all that kind of thing, and they're holding up the placards and all this kind of thing, going to the stores. And there was a group of them, 15 or 20 of these, these guys and women were going through doing all this kind of thing. And, and everybody thought it was quite innocent until they dropped all their signs and just grabbed everything they could and ran out the store. <laughs> and, this, and this was a high value. It was like computers and phones and that kind of thing. And they just it trashed the place and just stole everything they could get their hands on. And, and all wear masks, of course. You mm-hmm. know, and, and that's it. They're gone. 
Um, but this this is going to happen in grocery stores. I, I guarantee it. And to, uh, you know, but I think maybe maybe that's a control thing, where they're going to say, well, you know, this is going on quite a lot now. We need we need to have this stuff behind behind closed doors, you know, uh, and it'll be your digital ID that'll open the door and all that kind of thing, um, so that that can't happen. So that'll be the solution. Uh, and of course, we've already seen it in supermarkets where meat and everything is now put behind these these uh, fridge doors where you have to facially uh, be recognised by the camera to allow it to open. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been at an airport. Was it? In, I think it was in Bulgaria actually. They used to have the fridges there, you know, and you'd get your your drink out of the fridge and go out and pay for it. And then I went back one year and suddenly you couldn't do that. You had to go out and pay for it first, and then they pressed a button to make sure. They opened the fridge uh, for 10 seconds or something so you could grab your drink and get it out and then the fridge would close and lock. And that's that's where we're going. Mm-hmm. But again, going back to what we spoke about last time, yeah, well, it goes one stage further because people, okay, I can't get in the store. Well, I don't even have to go shopping. I just have to wait outside and see who's got stuff. Yeah. You know, who's got a big cart of food? Okay, they'll do. Or, you know, they follow them home. I mean... That's the way it's going to go. If people can't, desperate people would do desperate things, even if they're not that way inclined. Yes. If they want to feed children, they're going to do it. Uh, that's it. Unfortunately, you know. Well, it's again predictive programming. We've seen this, you know, in all of the movies. Uh, do you, Do you remember seeing Soylent Green? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched that a few times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just the grisly fact that they were, you know, that it was cannibalism and people that were being Mm. used for the food supply, but anybody that wanted a piece of whole food, like, remember the excitement that they had? And this was rich. Yeah. And the carrot and the little steak. And these were like, you look at that carrot, it was pathetic and kind of shriveled, but only a very wealthy person could afford to buy that carrot. But in, in the movie, of course, they showed you that the, the elite had everything. There was no shortage of anything for them. Mm-hmm. And they had the luxury apartments and the, the hookers and all that kind of thing, everything they right. wanted. Well, I mean, it's no different to today, is it? It's exactly the same. Yeah? It's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not far off it, are we? If they've got us eating bugs, then we're done, aren't we? Does I send you a thing about how... We, we talked the last time about the horrendous um, operations yes. on the, the transgender people. I mean, yes. we've totally changed topics here, but uh, I've got a kind of description here about what's done to them. But uh, just as a bit of humour to start with, uh, and going back to Amazon, uh, they're actually selling a T-shirt on Amazon, right? And it's all in rainbow. This writing is all in rainbow colours, and it says there are more than two genders. And so you, you click on it, right? And you go, okay, I'll, I'll place an order, and it only comes in two sizes: men and women. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Uh, I mean, I don't know why somebody's not taking them up. I'm not, a, I'm not one of those. Uh, have you got another size, please? You know? They can't even tell you what a man or woman is, so how would they, how would they know what size they are? <laughs> yeah, it's just bizarre. Funny. It's bizarre. And uh, I don't know if I sent you... Well, just uh, we'll just go through these quickly. I sent you something... Or did I? Vaccination proved useless and dangerous from, uh, and it was a, a scientist guy back in the um, mid-1900s, I think. And he's, he's written a whole, it's a 52-page uh, document or small book 
And he wrote this to uh, members of parliament, and it was a guy called Alfred Wallace. Um, 1889, actually. 1889, he wrote this, and it was, uh, as I say, the, the title was Vaccination Proved Useless and Dangerous from 45 Years of Registration Statistics. And this was in the, the London School of Hygiene Library. Uh, and this, the stamp is on the book uh, from 1951. So they've known for a long, long time that vaccines never, ever worked. And it talks about um, smallpox. And I'll, I'll just read the first, the first paragraph or two. Smallpox mortality and vaccination. Having been led to inquire for myself as to the effects of vaccination in preventing or diminishing smallpox, I have arrived at results as unexpected as they appear to me to be conclusive. The question is one which affects our personal liberty as well as the health and even the lives of thousands. Now, we know that uh, our personal liberty is being attacked by this, this push towards forced vaccination, right? It therefore becomes a duty to endeavour to make the truth known to all and especially to those who, on the faith of false or misleading statements, have enforced the practice of vaccination by penal laws. I propose now to establish the following four statements of fact by means of the only official statistics which are available, and I shall adopt a a mode of presenting those statistics as a whole which will render them intelligible to all. These statements are that during the the 45 years of the registration of deaths and their causes, smallpox mortality has very slightly diminished, while an exceedingly severe smallpox epidemic occurred within the last 12 years of the period. Point two, that there is no evidence to show that the slight decrease of smallpox mortality is due to vaccination. Three, that the severity of smallpox as a disease has not been mitigated by vaccination. Point four, that several inoculable diseases have increased to an alarming extent coincidentally with enforced vaccination. The first, second and fourth propositions will be proved from the Registrar General's reports from 1838 to 1882. And I shall make the results clear and indisputable by presenting the figures for the whole period in the form of diagrammatic curves so that no manipulation of them by taking certain years for comparison or by dividing the period in special ways will be possible. Now, if we look at what's happened with the COVID thing today, that's exactly what they've been doing. They've been doing the exact opposite of what this guy is just saying, said back in the 1800s. And they've manipulated the figures to suit exactly what they wanted the outcome to be. They've manipulated uh, time periods. And you could you could say the same for global warming. They've done exactly the same thing with that. And manipulated the time periods and the data to suit their own agenda. So, I mean, we're talking 150 years ago, this was known. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are, they're doing exactly the same stuff over and over again, with the same result, that people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And all these diseases that they claim to be curing are, are getting worse and worse and worse. And, and it's, it's incredible. I mean, that is the agenda. You're, mm-hmm. You know, you're the for a long time, you know, many hundreds of years, depopulation is the agenda. Yeah. And this is a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around the intergenerational agenda that we live through but it, it, it predates Darwin it predates uh, Malthus it's a it's an ancient thing where they know 
where they want to take us. They know what they want the future to look like. And depopulation is the is an essential cornerstone of their great new world. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I think you I said you had um, just started reading a book by Edwin Black, the guy who yes. wrote the book on IBM and Holocaust. Um, it's War Against the Week, not War. Um, I, I gave the wrong title. But it's War Against the Week. And it's eugenics and America's campaign to create a master race. You just mentioned there, you know, uh, Malthus, uh, Darwin, whatever. And there's a guy here called, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not even through the introduction yet. I've, I've started folding over the corners of the pages because I've got to keep this one. Um, in the 1850s, so we're talking about the same time period as this guy's writing about vaccination here. Agnostic English philosopher Henry, Herbert Spencer, and I tried to find out if he was actually related to the Spencer family that Diana Spencer came from, but I couldn't find any link there, but uh, that's not to say it doesn't exist, um, published Social Statistics, asserting that man and society in truth followed the laws of cold science, not the will of a caring almighty God. So here, here you have, um, they're already going against religion. You know, back in 1850, they're trying to uh, dispute religion. Spencer popularized a powerful new term. Now, everybody thinks this was Darwin, but it was actually this guy, survival of the fittest. He declared that man and society were evolving according to their inherited nature. Through evolution, the fittest would naturally continue to perfect society, and the unfit would naturally become more impoverished, less educated, and ultimately die off. But there's no logic to that. There's no logic to that whatsoever. Um, As well they should, he said. Indeed, Spencer saw the misery and starvation of the pauper classes as an inevitable decree of a far-seeing benevolence. So they were doing a good thing killing us off, right? Right. That is, the laws of nature. He unambiguously insisted, and this is a quote, the whole effort of nature is to get rid of such and to make room for better. How Orwellian is that statement? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are not sufficiently complete to live, they die, and it is best that they should die. Spencer left no room for doubt, declaring all imperfection must disappear. As such, he completely denounced charity and instead extolled the purifying elimination of the unfit. The unfit, he argued, were predestined by their nature to an existence of downwardly spiralling degradation. So that's what they think of us. (laughs) That's what they think of all of us. And people who who think they're middle class or upper class or whatever are included in that bracket and they don't even realise it. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, this is there. There is just a tiny little group at the top, and 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 Alan made the point many times that a lot of people, academics or you know whoever the 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 useful idiots, all think that they're going to come through into the new system, but they mm-hmm. aren't. It's it's only slated for the elite few, and. You yep. know, the, the, it's, the, the Spencer is interesting, but you're right. There is no logic there that they would just die off. And, and others knew that, you know, Wells, uh, I, th- I, th- I think it was H.G. Wells who said, if you make things comfortable for the lower classes, the work days aren't too long, the conditions aren't too harsh, what do they do? They just keep breeding. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I, th- I think he also said we need to stop uh, doctors uh, coming up with cures and all that kind of thing. Yes. Or, or was that? Uh, no, well, that might have been Malthus. I'm not sure. He basically said we had to keep them living in squalor to to keep them at their level and all that. Malthus said similar things to that, yeah. indeed. But yeah. you know, they they've known for a long time that they 
that they had to depopulate the undesirable classes, which is really all of us, by a variety of things, which include, you know, sterilization, uh, hunger, mm-hmm. famines. Uh, uh, it was H.G. Wells who's, you know, the two world wars isn't enough. We'll have to have mm-hmm. another. Yeah. Well, uh, there's uh, another bit in this. As I say, I've just started reading it. So, so um, there was a part there that was talking about a guy. Uh, they, they went. Uh, they started off in in Virginia, in the the mountain people in Virginia, who was who, as far as I understand, was like Scots and Irish basically, who'd mm-hmm. come from the Highlands and uh, populated that that area. It says moreover, the story of America's reproductive persecution, reproductive persecution, can, constitutes far more than just a protracted medical travesty. These simple Virginia people who thought they were isolated victims plucked from their remote mountain homes and urban slums were actually part of a grandiose decades-long American movement of social and biological cleansing determined to obliterate individuals and families deemed inferior. The intent was to create a new and superior mankind. The movement was called eugenics. It was conceived at the onset of the 20th century and implemented by America's wealthiest, most powerful and most learned men against the nation's most vulnerable and helpless. Well, like you said there, I think it's been going on a lot more, a lot longer than that. Um, it's gone on throughout history, really. Eugenicists sought to methodically terminate all the racial and ethnic groups and social classes they disliked or feared. So there, so I guess there we have Stalinism and Hitlerism uh, just linked together because... Uh, the Soviet Union went after the, the social classes and the, the, the Hitler regime went after the, the ethnic and racial groups. Mm-hmm. So it's all mixed in together. It was nothing less than America's legalized campaign to breed a super race. And not just any super race. Eugenicists wanted a purely Germanic and Nordic super race enjoying biological dominion over all others. Nor was America's crusade a mere domestic crime. Using the power of money, prestige, and international academic exchanges, American eugenicists exported the philosophy to nations throughout the world, including Germany. Decades after a eugenics campaign of mass sterilization and involuntary incarceration of defectives was institutionalized in the United States, the American effort to create a super Nordic race came to the attention of Adolf Hitler. Well, it didn't come to his attention, he was given it. <laughs> right. It was handed over. Um, they declared, those declared unfit by, by Virginia did not know it but they were connected to a global effort of money manipulation and pseudoscience that stretched from rural America right into the sterilization wars, euthanasia vans and concentration camps of the Third Reich prior to World War II. The Nazis practiced eugenics with the open approval of America's eugenic crusaders. As Joseph Dijarnet, superintendent of Virginia's Western State Hospital, complained in 1934, Hitler is beating us at our own game. So there's, there's an admission that it, uh, it had nothing to do with Hitler. It was all uh, planned by the West. Eventually, out of sight of the world, in Buchenwald and Auschwitz, eugenic doctors like Joseph Mengele, and uh, uh, we'll compare some of these uh, butchers that are actually practicing, supposedly practicing medicine uh, now on young children, would carry on the research begun just years earlier with American financial support, including grants from the Rockefeller Foundation and the Carnegie Institution. Only after the secrets of Nazi eugenics horrified the world, <laughs> as if they were secrets, I mean, they were yeah. given them by America and Britain, only after Nuremberg declared compulsory sterilization a crime against humanity, did American eugenics recede, adopt an enlightened view and then resurface as genetics and human engineering. Even still, involuntary sterilization continued for decades as policy and practice in America, and it's still going on. 
it's still gone on. The, uh, I don't know if you saw the reports on the spike protein. They, they did an autopsy on a, I think it was a 27-year-old man who died suddenly, uh, who'd been fully vaccinated, and all of his sperm had been replaced by spike protein. I did not see that, no. Yeah, so there's sterilization for you, and there's a way to pass on the spike protein to some unsuspecting young lady. Uh, there's, who did, who did the study? Where was it published? Oh, I, I, I would have to look it up, and I'll send it to you. How about that? Yeah. I'll find yeah. it. I mean, <laughs> who needs a needle when right. normal human behavior can uh, pass on whatever they want us to have? Yeah. That's that's frightening. That's... Um, it's, it's, what's that, what was that movie called? Uh, Scanners. Did you ever see Scanners? That was the animated one. No, it was uh, oh. it was an actual movie where people were infected with these. Uh, they were like uh, maggots, but they were passed on through human contact. No, I don't think I saw that. No. I think I think it was passed on by sexual contact actually, uh-huh. and uh, this is no different. This, yeah. this is no different. They're, they're passing on this uh, this thing that uh, replicates over and over again. You can never kill it. So yeah, that's uh, there's sterilisation for you. Ah. Uh, ster- we know there's sterilis- sterilants in the foods. We know there's steri- sterilants in the water. Uh, we know there's sterilants in the air. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, even even if you grow your own foods, you're still you're still going to be susceptible to that stuff because it's falling out of the sky in the rain or whatever, but um, at least you're mitigating it somehow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's supposed to be a crime against humanity, right? Uh, but they're still doing it. All over the world. Yeah. It's, uh, and they get away with it because, uh, well, as, as anybody listening to this will know, that uh, there, is, there is no law. The only law is uh, their law, and that's it. They're better than us, and that's the end of it. And you'll do as you're told or just die off. We don't care. Yeah. And that's the mindset. That's the mindset. When you're gonna open your eyes to it, when you're gonna see through the rain lies, will the time ever come when you can see that it's time to stop giving the liars more tries? Why do you take so long to call on? They always seem to be surprised When for you, each thing they do has only downsides How much wearing irritation will I see in you When I say what seems extreme But happens to be true It's true, I hate to break it to you Cause yeah, everything they do is evil To do us harm Yeah Everything they do is evil What you smell the damn coffee You keep on snoozing the alarm The trouble is um, The trouble is that people don't know Enough history At all I mean even just like the bare minimum To know that we do We, we all have Enemies a group of, mm-hmm. that are our enemies, but it's just too easy to keep us pitted down here, you know, left versus right politics instead of seeing the big picture. And if you point out the big picture, you're a conspiracy theorist. And mm-hmm. one, you know, talking about eugenics, I remember uh, years ago I got into 
trying to collect all of the publications of the Galton Society and then following it through to the American Eugenics Society and eventually they you know changed their name but I yeah. collected many 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 issues of that publication and what you see is a, a through line a continuum into what they now call genetics research all they had to do was give it a different name it isn't just bioethics, but it is all the different actual medical terminology and research names for things that obscure what it is, which is the creation of their perfected worker bee. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, the uh, the mRNA uh, injection, you know, people I hear people saying, "Oh, it's, it's messenger RNA." No, no, it's not. It's it's mod RNA. It's genetically modified RNA they've injected to people. They're genetically modifying people through this injection, which is going to render them sterile, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Well, it's at least it's, at the very least. <laughs> I don't. I can't just pull it up really quickly, but a couple of times in the spring of 2021, probably April or May. I put up an article that I thought was very significant, and I put it up again last year. And it was an interview; it was a transcript of an interview uh, on National Public Radio here in the United States with one of the mRNA researchers. He was one of the CRISPR technology fathers of that uh, that technology. And the interviewer was talking with him, and he said. People keep talking about DNA and how important it is. And he said early on in the CRISPR technology research, we realized that it was mRNA that was doing all of the work. And and this is what, uh, you know, I remember people on the mainstream media saying, oh, relax, relax, this isn't doing anything to the DNA. It's not changing your DNA. But the messenger is what delivers the information to your genetics to make the change. Mm-hmm. So, And I'm not a scientist and I'm not medically trained. I, mean, I can't really go into that technology, but I did post a couple of uh, times this article that I thought was very uh, worth reading and worth reading again because yeah. they know what they've unleashed. And don't you think it's just a bit of a coincidence that even people like Elon Musk are saying, well, the good thing that came, you know, oh, there were some problems with the COVID vaccines and they probably rushed it and they probably had, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the good thing, Musk said, that came out of all of this is that is all of the research that went into the mRNA vaccines because this is now going to allow us to cure cancer, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, after I heard him say that a time or two, I looked into it, and sure enough, Tesla, the Tesla company, had gone into business at the height of COVID in um, being the manufacturing base for a kind of mRNA technology. And I, I can't recall just off the top of my head the company that it was, but you can look it up, Tesla uh, and mRNA oh. vaccines. Yeah, I heard, heard something about that. Yeah. And the, uh, I mean, the, fa- the fact of, uh, you know, it's, it is mod um, mRNA, and that's why the name Moderna yeah. exists. You modified. Know? Uh, modified, yeah, it's genetically yeah. modified. So it's, it's genetically modifying you, which has to be a crime, right? 
that has to be a crime. That's 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 grievous bodily harm, in any definition. If they're changing your body, uh, where it's never going to be the same again, they've they've grievously harmed you. There's no argument about that, and they never told you they were doing it. They never told you that it was going to change your your whole physiology. No, because it's it's herd management. You know, yeah. they're we're we're yeah. farmed. They you know they're going to cull some of us and you know tell the rest of us or tell anybody else who happens to be paying a little bit of attention that it's for our own good. Oh yeah, or for the greater good. Yeah, or for the greater good. Yeah. Well, I don't know, I don't know if you want to. Because I mean, this is this is sterilisation as well, but in a in a brutal fashion. Uh, we discussed it the last time. Um, the the types of um, doctors, so called. I, I I wish I could come up with another word other than doctors, because these I, these I don't see these people as doctors. These are these are evil people. I, I just I, I can't I can't get my head around why anyway. And you know. I used to think of doctors, you know, and when they, they first started talking about heart transplants, kidney transplants, all that kind of thing, you thought, wow, that's great, you know, that's fantastic, that's an amazing progress, you know, somebody's got a bad heart, they can replace it and all that. I, I, I thought about the, the doctor, you know, he's in the surgery for 12 hours or whatever, whatever, however long it takes, and he stands back and he goes, and you know, and he sees that patient and he goes, yeah, okay, hopefully that works. And then, you know, maybe three months later he meets that patient again and he's really proud of his work, he kept that person alive. You know, he can be proud in what he did. Okay, the person maybe got a couple of scars from the surgery or whatever, but the person's alive, fit, healthy again, and, you know, they're going to live for another 10, 20 years, whatever. And that, that doctor or surgeon can stand back and say, yeah, I did a great job there. I did a really good job there. I'm proud of that. And then you've got these butchers. I guess that's the only word you can call them. These, these ones that are doing this to children uh, to change their gen- supposedly change their gender. How can they possibly look at that child as they grow into adulthood? Because they're going to keep going back to the doctor, right? Because they're going to have all these problems. Uh, how can that doctor sit there with a straight face and look at that child and say, I did a great job there? It's, there's, I said it last time, there's something wrong with these doctors. They are, they are deranged. You still expect the truth when it's always lies. Will a dog like you never realise? Or they show you spit and it's weaponised. Will you ever begin to get a bit streetwise? Illusions that you want to see float eternally before your eyes. Your self-deceit, it keeps on hitting all new highs. Ignoring what's before you You cling to your kooky worldview I know you think it's me who's deluded But it's you, it's you It's so obviously you Yeah Everything they do is evil Yeah They only ever do us harm Yeah Everything they do is evil There's a, a brief description of some of the surgery here. Uh, this guy, Joey Manorino, he put this on Twitter. We talked about this last time, but uh, this is, this is I'm going to read from this. Last night we spoke about the fake vaginal surgery transgenders undergo. Now let's talk about the fake penis surgery. A phalloplasty is absolutely brutal. First, the woman has to undergo a hysterectomy. Then the woman has to have her ovaries removed. These two surgeries alone are absolutely brutal and tough recoveries. 
then you have to have a vaginal mucosal ablation. That's a fancy way of saying that they sew the vagina closed. And it only gets worse from there. The doctors need tissue from your body to build your fake penis from. So they cut skin off your arm, your thigh, or your back. Doesn't that sound pleasant? After all, all that is over, they begin constructing your penis. When that's all done, you have your fake penis that barely works. Actually, it doesn't function at all. It's just a piece of skin. It can hardly get an erection. It feels no real pleasure. It's just there. If you want the erection device, that's a whole different level of complicated surgeries, and it is even more complicated. That's if you make it through. There are many stories of people having a fistula and stricture in their new urethras and being stuck with a suprapubic catheter for months. Of course, there are infections. Those are brutal. And this is not your average UTI. This is the body rejecting a foreign object. Then there are the times when the tissue dies and you're just stuck with a dead organ. Ejaculation isn't possible. That just isn't going to happen, and that's in the best-case scenario. You're now talking one to three years worth of surgeries before it's all over in some cases. In briefly looking at literature, the lowest rate of complications I've seen is 25%. More commonly, the number seems to hover around 40%. So when you see these people telling you, telling 10-year-olds they should sew the vagina closed up and attach a fake penis, you're talking about actual barbarism. This is what they want for our kids. This is the agenda. And he says, I won't stand for it. This stuff is serious and it is ruining people's lives. And that's that's probably putting it mildly. That, that, mm-hmm. the, the description of the surgery is probably putting it mildly. It's, as I say, I, 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 <laughs> I mean, Mengele seems like a choir boy compared to these guys. You know, this is, this is actual brutality being perpetrated on children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as he says, barbarism. It is, it's, it's almost like, um, I don't know, uh, cannibals. It's almost like cannibalistic. You're cutting pieces off of people's bodies and stitching them on. It's Frankenstein stuff. It's, it's disgusting. It really is. It, it is disgusting. Uh, you, I, when you sent me, you said that you were going to read a little bit of that description, and you sent me a couple of other things that tied in with it. And mm-hmm. what it got me thinking about was... Besmanov's steps, you know, of a ideological subversion on a national scale. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, really, what you see here, what we are living through is a combination back and forth of step one of demoralization and step four of normalization. Because the, mm-hmm. the destabilization is when you know, there's a period there where you become a target for the a foreign country to ev- invade you, and they're talking about your economy and your defenses, and then crisis. That's just a period of a few weeks where the chaos turns into eventually normalization. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what we actually are going to see in this country, and, you know, people talk about World War Three and so forth, but what we've been living through for many years now is demoralization and normalization so we, I don't think yeah. Carry on. Sorry. We're, we are completely subverted the, in the demoralization pro, uh, process by having teachers and psychologists and psychiatrists 
tell us they become sympathetic to this cause. We have to do this, and these children need this. And I can't tell you how many times in a week or a month I read the kind of articles that say, if you are against gender reassignment, you're a hateful hater person. And I've seen where doctors, you know, hundreds of them at one go, sign some kind of petition that to say to deny youngsters that this process is it's a terrible thing it's really denying them life-saving process yeah yeah, you're driving them to suicide you're you're Mm -hmm. driving them to suicide by denying them the opportunity to have their bodies butchered by these Mm -hmm. people and and then that a lot of them uh, you know some of the reports i've seen up to 50 percent commit suicide because of it that's right But we are now, I think we are, in terms of this particular agenda, we are mostly in the normalization phase of that, where anyone who takes an opposite stand, anyone who says this is butchery, anyone who says the doctors who do this are butchers, anyone who points out that the children are more prone to suicide, are, they are the haters. They are the maladjusted, the ones who need re-education because it has become normalized in the culture. And yeah, you do see, you see the people stand up to target and the boycott this company or that company. But the, the idea is that this will be normalized no matter what. Yeah. Well, you of know. course, the word, the word demoraled means you've lost your morals, right? Yes. Aren't we supposed to have morals as human beings? We're supposed to have morals and ethics and uh, yes. you know, a code, a code of how to live your life yeah. and how how others should behave, how others should should behave towards you and you should behave towards them. Isn't that just called normal human interaction? Yes, and the other thing is, I was thinking about Besmanov, but I was also thinking about Alan talking about cultural contamination. I, again, listening to the news this morning, one of the between the guy that was talking, the main show that I was listening to, there were some news updates, and one of them was that a school superintendent in the county next over to mine was arrested for soliciting sex from a minor, basically some online grooming, and they went and picked him up. And that reminded me of another story in this um, in this area where they busted a child sex trafficking ring back in January and at that time it was revealed that in that ring you had a a pastor of a church there was a a high school coach there were several teachers that were involved in this sex trafficking ring and so I thought because I had an hour to burn (laughs) not really but I just I'm I get committed to things. And so I said, okay, that's Texas. What's going on in the rest of the country? And I spent an hour going state by state. And my search words were sex ring busted. And then I added the state, you know, Alaska. I went all the way through all 50 states and I found one story after another after another. Every state had in the last year or year and a half busted some kind of sex trafficking ring. Usually these were multiple. Some of them went over many states. And often in these stories, you would have, uh, they, they would find 
40 missing children or 20 missing children that had you know been missing for a long time and the other thing that I noticed as I was looking at the stories was that many of these uh, sting operations had names they gave them names and um, let's see, I'm just looking for the piece of paper that I wrote this stuff down on here um, Operation Ohio Nose, Bad Apple, Operation Velvet Fury, Operation United Front, Operation Net Nanny, Operation Times Up. And I saw one, I had to look it up. It was called Operation M-A-P Mirage. And I'm like, well, what does that M-A-P stand for? Well, it turns my, out my it's... Exactly. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> and I thought, well, you see, this is cultural corruption. Because uh, also in a lot of these stories, what I saw, I, I wrote down a couple of notes here, but there were, in Virginia in 2021, the police had protected a sex trafficking ring. Um, one of the, the other, a high-level group of police were involved in the ring. So I was thinking about Alan's, you know, talking about cultural contamination where is the outrage on these butchers? Oh, yes, we boycott Target, and we get enraged when we see something on the Super Bowl, you know, halftime show that's inappropriate. But we have been collectively sitting by for decades as children are taken and trafficked, and we don't call them pedophiles or rapists. We call them minor attracted persons. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, so you're that's right. A sexual, it's a sexual orientation. It's perfectly legal, isn't it? They've got yeah, rights. Exactly. Yeah. As long as your child consents at five-year-old, you know, that's okay. <laughs> I think there was one actually just in Florida this week, I think. Paula told me about the, the sheriff here just busted some pedophile ring or something. Yeah, it's, it, there's nothing ever done about it. It just, oh yeah, it's sheriff. Oh, great, great. You know, but there's never any any follow up on the victims and how many there were and what the circumstances were, what happened to them. You, you know, and there's never, it doesn't seem to be any support either. You never hear about any support for the victims, and you never hear about it again. You never hear about the case again. No, and you that's know, the thought just, that I had this morning is that. Demoralization that's yes. all been done. It's, uh, we're, we're in the normalization stage. Um, I think. I think. Yeah, it's, we're certainly in the normalization stage when when the the lunatics are are turning around and criticizing us for being rational. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I don't think I sent you this one. This is what I, I saw. It's, we're still in the LGBT thing. This is from LifeSite.com, LifeSite News. As Pride Month approaches, the LGBT mob is ramping up its attack on on dissenters. Now, any institution, even a Catholic school that refuses to wave the Pride flag, faces retribution from LGBT activists in Canada. And just uh, as an aside, I was listening to something the other day about the, you know, they keep adding these colours onto the Pride flag. The blue, the pink and the white seems to be the latest additions, or the, the pink and the white. And these represent, uh, I can't remember which way they do it, but I guess the pink is for the young girls, and the, the light blue is for young boys. And the white is for, apparently the white is for uh, very young virgins or something. 
That's what it represents. That's what it represents. That's what it represents. But I mean, I don't, I don't know how that make, I don't know how that actually makes sense because children, you would imagine, are all, you know, pure and virginal. But uh, yeah, the, the light blue is apparently for young boys, and uh, the pink is for young girls. So that's uh, that. And that goes back to an original flag before this rainbow one came out. That was the the colours that they used to to represent uh, certain groups of uh, people they wanted to molest. I guess. Uh. But anyway, uh, going on with this. As we approach a month of public orgiastic celebration of weird sexual fetishes, and again, <laughs> I'll interject, because somebody sent me a video of uh, some pride festival, and I think it was in Idaho, which is apparently a, one of the a strong Republican state. And uh, they had this float with this guy dressed in bondage gear and another guy behind him with a whip, and he was actively choking him on the back of this truck in front of all these parents with their children. What's wrong with these parents? What is wrong exactly, with them? Exactly. Well, that's just, uh, I mean, they, uh, I mean that, that is, in, it, in its own way, is child abuse, right? You're, you're, you're inflicting this gross uh, scene upon your child by this taking is, them along the, to uh, witness This is it. normalization, and this is what Bert, this is really, I think, what Bertrand Russell meant when he said that we can teach children that snow is black. Yeah, yeah. We are this seeing is normal. that yeah. we, it is normal, and so you can say, what is wrong with these parents? Well, I'll tell you what is wrong with them. They were contaminated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, like, you're like, uh, yeah. carry on. I mean, they are contaminated, and and because of that, they're goners. Yeah, their their minds have been sucked dry of any kind of morality and ethical uh, teaching of their children. Mm -hmm. They've just given up. They've given up caring about their own children's uh, worldview. They're giving them a worldview that they think is okay. And these children, as you say, they're going to grow up thinking that's normal. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you know, you see these things on on TV when you were young, there used to be all these, uh, I don't know, like sports things or, or, or karate things or whatever, and there was always a caveat, don't do this, at, don't try this at home. And these kids are watching somebody on the back of a truck being strangled with a whip, and there's no caveat saying don't try this at home. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to go home and try this out with their friends and think That's it's funny and it's a game. Yeah. It's, it's just insanity. But, uh, Canadian institutions are competing to see who can grow the lowest and flag wave the hardest. Politicians arrive to genuflect to their cultural overlords. Corporations send expensive floats to the festivals of nudity and indecency. Organisers like to call parades. The LGBT flag is hoisted above schools, city halls and businesses. My local grocery store already has giant progress flags pasted to the automatic sliding glass doors. This is in Canada, by the way, <laughs> just, just so you know. Um, with all of that will come LGBT activists insisting that they are victims. Here is how their grift works. I mean, I, I, I've never heard anybody, I mean, even in Florida where, you know, men are supposed to be men, although, you know, that's questionable because, uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, they're walking around with masks on with their Navy SEALs hats on. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, you weren't, you weren't scared of bullet, bullets, but you're scared of uh, something that's uh, <laughs> apparently floating through the air. But anyway, LGBT activists insist that everybody fly the LGBT flag to overtly announce support for the ideology. Some institutions decline to fly this flag for reasons ranging from religious to community unity. 
LGB activists then characterised this refusal to proactively show support for their agenda as a backlash. Canadian media obediently characterise it, it, it as such. LGP activists are now victims of their targets, refusal to participate in the narrative they themselves have created. This strategy is so brazen that it only succeeds due to a potent combination of the cowardice of our politicians and the collaboration of our press. Now, I disagree with that. The politicians are all in on it. I mean, it's not, it's not to do with cowardness. They just, uh, they're going along with it um, because it, it, uh, it pays the bills, right? Everything. Everything. Come on, get off it. Everything. Earlier this week, for example, the York Catholic District School Board voted 6-4 against flying the LGBT flag at the Catholic Education Centre during June. This, to normal people several minutes ago, would not be considered a story. Breaking news, Catholics are Catholics. But it made headlines at the state broadcaster, not least due to the fact that LGBT activists... Uh, shouted at trustees after the vote and then promptly made veiled accusations of violence. The police have been called at three recent board meetings over the same issue. So here, here we have people actively creating a scene and acting violently or threatening violence and not a thing's done about it. Now, if you and I go into a city hall and do the opposite, we, we say, no, no, we don't want that flag flying there. We're the terrorists, right? We're the terrorists. Although we've only spoken. That's all we've done is spoken. This school board is unsafe for York regions. Now, listen, this, this, is, uh, this is getting like alphabetic spaghetti, this, this, this kind of thing. This school board is unsafe for York regions. LGBTQ2IA plus community. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what the two is about. I don't, I don't know what that's about. I know it's a lesbian, gay, bi, bi, which, of course, if you think about it logically, right, if you're bisexual, why would you have to change gender? <laughs> <laughs> really? Um, but uh, LGBT, trans, I guess T's trans, right? Uh, Q is for queer. I is intersex, is it? And A Probably. is... A is asexual. I don't know what the plus is, but I don't know what the two is. The, the digit two is in here. I don't know what that means. Well, I'll anyway. see if I can answer that question for you really quickly. I, I'll, I'll just ca- I'll carry on yeah, with this. Yeah, you then. carry on. Uh, and it is kept unsafe by a group of York Catholic Board trustees who weaponize their faith against marginalized community, said Tristan Coolman. He's, <laughs> he's a cool man, right? Uh, uh-huh. I, I don't know how they... How, how do you define a cool man? Uh, is, that, is that a biological male who's been in the fridge? I don't know. <laughs> uh, president of the York Region Chapter of PFLAG announced in a statement on May 30th. Reread that and remember that what Coolman is referring to here is the decision not to fly an ideological flag. That decision, Coolman claims without irony, makes York region unsafe. It is Coolman and his Rainbow Mafia that are weaponizing their ideology against a religious institution. A similar scenario unfolded in Norwich, Ontario, where the city's council voted to limit the flags flown on civic property to federal, provincial or township flags. Whether flown together or apart, these government flags are all we need to represent the diverse and multicultural citizenship in Norwich Township, noted Councillor John Scholten. By flying these flags alone on township property, we can coexist in peace and harmony. No matter who we are or what we believe, well, you can you can exist in peace and harmony unless the LGBT crowd uh, form a mob and threaten you with violence. I guess because right. they're the only ones doing that. They're the only ones doing that. Nobody else is threatening violence. 
In response, Councillor, uh, Councillor Alicia Stubbs, who has now resigned, maybe, maybe she's had the transgender surgery and that's all she's got, is a stub, I don't know, who has now resigned over the Council's decision, stated it's directly, specifically and horrifyingly discrimination and it's, clear, it's a clear violation of the Human Rights Code not to fly a flag, right? What's that got to do with the human right? <laughs> Again, keep, it, keep in mind here that what she's referring to is, yeah, here we go, is a decision not to fly the flags of specific ideologies. But because the flag that represents her ideology is included in that ban, she claims that human rights have been violated. I was not aware that there was a human right to have various levels of government fly flags representing your worldview, but you live and learn. Put it this way, if, if, a, if a large group, say, as large as they claim the LGBT A plus 2 plus XYZ claim B, who said that we support Nazism, we need a swastika flying up there. Would there be an outcry about that, do you think? Yeah. From all sides? Yeah. From all sides. Not, not just uh, the LGBT crowd. Everybody would be on it. We're not having that. And there would be no argument about it. They'd say, no, you're not flying that here. That's it. That's the end of it. And, uh, and if they threatened violence, they'd be arrested. Right? But yeah, that's... Well, that's uh, I got an answer for you here, Neil. Okay. Two. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Two-spirit community. Two-spirit refers to a person who identifies as having both a masculine and a feminine spirit and is used by some indigenous people to describe their sexual gender and or spiritual identity. An umbrella term, it may encompass same-sex attraction and a wide variety of gender variants, including people who might be described in Western culture as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transsexual, transgender, genderqueer, cross-dresser, or who have multiple <laughs> gender identities. The creation of the term two-spirit is attributed to Elder Myra Laramie, who proposed to use it during the third annual intertribal Native American First Nations Gay and Lesbian American Conference held in Winnipeg in 1990. The term is a translation of the, oops, I'm not going to bother to say it, it's a First Nations, uh, it's a term that just means two spirits. We'll leave it at that before I slaughter their language and haters come after me. Yeah. It's, um, the only word missing from that is insane. <laughs> that's, 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 uh, how can you make that stuff up? Who sat down and wrote that? That's, that's just nuts. Uh, well, it's, you know, what this is, again, there's always a definition. There's some, but there's greater minds than mine, I'll just put it that way, have addressed these topics over the years, and this is another Orwellian term. This is newspeak, and it is insane. Yeah, it is. I don't know how anybody falls for it. I don't, I don't uh, as I say, going back to the doctors, I don't, I don't know how any of these guys can go home and sleep at night knowing what they've done. No, and you know, you sent me one of the things that you, we, we probably should wrap this up pretty quickly, but one of the things that you sent me with that article, I think I clicked on uh, the designer that was being, whose stuff was being featured at Target. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Did you yeah. look at him? Did, did you see his tweets and... The, uh, no, I didn't go into that. I just, uh, I just read that. Okay, well, there I, I clicked on the stuff in the article, and he is a British-based so-called fashion designer, and these some of these things were be, were being or perhaps are still being sold at Target that were satanic, basically. I think one of the T-shirts being sold said, "Satan respects pronouns." 
Oh yeah, I, I mean some of the the pictures are actually in that article. I've seen, okay. yeah, I've okay. seen those. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the girl dressed as the witch. I've got it here. The girl's dressed as a witch. Yeah, she, and yeah. she's got to baff, Baphomet there. Yes. Uh, well, the, the the designer uh, included a, a picture, a, a, a little selfie that he took. He's a piece of work. But this is this is what they're selling to children, and yeah, and uh, yeah, there's one, no there's no outrage because we're a contaminated culture worldwide. Yeah, and one one of the pictures that caught my attention was it was a uh, it's the the badges. Did you scroll down and see the badges? Yes, um, I did. There's one here, and it's it's got the pyramid, it's got the eye, and it's got poppers. Open your third eye. Mm-hmm. Now, poppers were the things that they used to give that uh, gay men used to take before they went out and had their orgies. And their poppers are amyl nitrate. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, and, yeah, and, I, and the, the badge has has the medicine bottles behind it. Yeah. So they're, they're advertising amyl nitrate. Right again, and that was that was what they they said. Uh, that's what's been reported is what caused the immune deficiency in the first yeah. place. There's nothing yeah. to do with AIDS. But some of these badges, straights suck, queers swallow, and this is for children. You know, I am a goddamn lesbian. I can't see what the small print says, and there's something I don't know. Bi babe, young bisexual, and willing. So you're 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 prostituting yourself on the street by wearing this, these badges. You know. And children will do it, and they'll, and there'll be predators walking around the streets, going, "Oh yeah, there you go." Yeah, I love that one. This, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what it's going to take to for a big enough backlash to to do something about even even that issue, even the you know the drag queens and all that kind of thing, because if, if people, I, I, maybe it's just a test. Maybe it's just a test to see how much people are willing to take, and if they don't take it, they'll say, well, you deserve what's coming next, kind of thing. Because nobody, there, there isn't a big enough backlash. I mean, it's no, it's no point going to your city hall and saying, oh, we don't agree with this. You know, that, that this is what you get. They get the violent uh, activists turn up and, and threaten to beat you up. You know, it's this is... I mean, these parents need to... Seriously, they need to go to a re-education camp. There's, there's something wrong with them as well. Deeply uh, wrong with them. Uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. But you know, the culture is weaponized, and mm-hmm. most—I mean, I still talk to people who are interested in reality, but they can't quite separate from popular culture, television, the internet, or whatever. And your. You you haven't a chance if you are taking in entertainment or any popular culture with less than a really critical eye to see mm-hmm. what is coming at you and why it's coming at you. It's yeah. It's incredible. Well, I mean, Paul, Paul and I uh, watch specific uh, series or, or movies specifically to see what's in them. That's mm-hmm. that's why we watch them. We don't watch them for Entertainment is, in, you know, in inverted commas. We watch them to see what they're pushing in those things. I don't think, I, I, I can't remember if I mentioned it last time, about the popular TV series in, in the UK, which had been running for, I don't know, 50 years now, Coronation Street. Yes. Uh, and they introduced a transgender into that in the 70s. Yes, you, you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, that's... yeah and that, that's how far back they were planning it. Yeah. You know? 
Uh, well, that, that's how that's how far back they actually introduced it. They obviously planned it a long time before that. But uh, that was that was fifty years ago. Yeah, but you, you see it in entertainment. You laugh. Your guard is down. You identify. I have always, you know, and Alan did the same. Watched the programming, if you want to call it entertainment, but watched mm-hmm. programming just to see what is in it. Now there was one. I actually over two nights, one night last week and and last night watched four episodes of something and I and I realized okay now I've seen it all uh, I, I've seen all I need to I don't need to go through the all all four or five years or how many they did but the show was called manifest and it was about a plane that uh, took off and then landed and it turned out that it had, it had taken off five and a half years earlier so to the people on the plane it felt that they had just landed after some turbulence and a two-hour flight. But for those mm-hmm. on the ground, they'd been gone five and a half years. And I thought, oh, well, this might have some interesting supernatural X-Files kind of sci-fi stuff in it. But I realized after, you know, sticking with it for four episodes that it was really just a big soap opera and we were supposed to really get involved in the characters and who got married or divorced or found a new partner while the, their mate was up in the sky missing so that was boring to me but what i did see in the episodes was the cultural push you know the the 14 year old girl's best friend is a a homosexual young boy and he is with her they go to into a department store and she's doing having some makeup put on her there and he is putting tester makeup on himself And yeah. I, th- I think that the show, the first season of it was 2018, so it's normalization, normalization, and of course, oh, you like the boy because he's got a backstory, and you know, it's mm. so what if he wears mascara? So what if he puts lipstick on? And these yeah. are over and over again that you get the the messaging of what kind of a relationship is good, what is sanctioned, and you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you see the, the homosexuality and the lesbianism and all the all the sexual deviancies that that they're trying to push. They're, they're in everything. They're in mm-hmm. absolutely everything. And there's there's no there's no reason for them to be there. There's no uh, reason in in the plot or the storyline for them. It, there's no need for it. But it's put in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and that's talk, at that point. Paul and talk, I just turn it off. And say, that's enough of that. Absolutely. And you do, you have to say that. You know, I mean, talk about cultural uh, contamination. Years ago. Someone sent Alan a couple of discs of the first two seasons of, um, what was that big thing on HBO that was set in another period that was so wildly, Game of Thrones. Oh, Game Um, of Thrones, yeah. Yeah, so they sent him the first two seasons of Game of Thrones. And we watched the first episode and it's like, okay, wow, this is really pushing it, pushing it. And we started, I think, in the second episode started with uh, a what what's the politically correct term for a midget is uh, a dwarf a dwarf a dwarf dwarf. i'm sorry okay so a dwarf or a midget a midget we don't have to be politically correct well a dwarf (laughs) was in bed um in a sexual situation with two women and so right. Alan, Alan said, okay, that's enough of that. So he took the discs, literally walked over to the wood-burning stove and put them <laughs> in the fire. Yeah. 
He's a climate yeah. criminal. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so now, um, last year, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a churchgoer, and and I, I she's um, she's a, what would you call her a normie, um, walking uh, in the land of Nod, a kind way, but you know she's a friend, and I was talking to her. She was telling me about how much she loved going to her church because the preacher always illustrated. Um, his sermons with things from television and popular culture and so he could bring it into their lives in a way that really impacted and she said you know last week he illustrated his sermon with you know talking about something that the characters did on Game of Thrones and she said I, you know I love that show and I started laughing and I thought well there you go this is how normalized a toxic culture is. Yeah. Well, let me just, I, I mean... I think if you if you have anything burning, let's say it, but otherwise we should call it a wrap for... Yeah. I remember last last uh, time we talked about uh, what, what could a big catastrophe be that, uh, you know, causes America collapse. And I mentioned the, uh, the supposed uh, volcano under the ocean and all this thing they were talking about... Uh, Yellowstone and all this kind of stuff. Well, now now they're talking about uh, we could possibly have a Category Seven hurricane in Florida this year because of climate change. Uh, of course, of I've, course. I've never heard of a Category Seven hurricane, so how do they know? Well, I guess you better batten down the hatches. Well, I don't think if it's if it's a Category Seven, I don't think hatches are going to be any good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the whole house will go. But, uh, there you go. But yeah, that's it. That's uh, that's what they're touting now. Uh, category seven hurricanes could be normal because of climate change. Of course, of course, yeah. it has. There's no such thing as uh, weather manipulation, is there? Oh. oh no, no, no! It's my fault because I'm a white man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault. If, if 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 I've got a black neighbour down the road, he's going to come up and blame me when his house blows away. He goes, "It's all your fault." Jane Fonda told me so. That's it. Oh, that, but, but she's white. Uh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah. She's a very rich white woman. Oh, yes. what's she going to do with it? Yeah. Uh, well, there well, you go. it's fun as always to talk to you, and I, I'm looking. We've committed to the second Thursday of every month, which means that you and I will uh, have another talk up on the 13th of July. And I think okay. a lot will have transpired between now and then. Uh, I thank you for joining me, and I thank all of the listeners for. Uh, Tuning in, so to speak, for another episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, people might not uh, <laughs> take kindly to my sense of humour and uh, whatever, but uh, you know, I just, as I said, I've always said, you got to laugh at this stuff because if you don't, it'll drive you insane. So uh, I've, I've got a bit of a kind of funny sense of humour, but that's just the way it is. Maybe uh, well. it's just part of being Scottish. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, you make me laugh. I will say just one other thing before I stop the recording, and that is um, this is for people who will listen to this on their podcast player or BitChute or one of the other places that I put it up. Um, about half of this is going to be cut to upload to YouTube. So just so you know, you've listened to the unedited, unabridged version, but about about fifty percent of what we talked about would lead to multiple oh, strikes bad. on you. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> yeah. so you've and, heard and the look, whole look, thing here. You, look, you could identify as an LGBT activist, and it'll be fine. Ah, okay. 
Yeah. All right. So thank you again, and uh, have a good week. Pleasure. You too. You too. Take it away. But I've got something.